Hello and welcome to another episode of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Joining me is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How the hang in there, champ? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. We were just talking about how I was going to be up for a professional start, so I thought I'd just start off the most unprofessional way ever. Um, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying not to die. And it's working well so far, so I can't complain too much. Well, that's okay, because um, just because I knew you were half-dying, I thought I'd bring in a bloke who could probably replace you, and that's... Uh, that's excellent. That's, that's, uh, Wally Lewis? Uh, <laughs> Brad Bittler? Andrew Johns? Mate, you've got you to lift the bar a bit higher than that. Ah, uh, Jeebus? Right. <laughs> Close. He's, uh, he's returning after popular man from his own PR department. It's Matty Attard. You can find on Twitter at, Matt, uh, oh, at mattard 90 How are you going there, mate? Yeah, good, boys. How are you? Um, thought I'd better come in and just uh, see if I can lift things up. Poor freak, he's almost dead. So I had to um, had to pop in and say g'day and see if I could help out. So uh, you all right there, freak, or what? Yeah, I'm like if, um, say if Charlie Sheen went off his medication and got a flu that's about the level of sickness I'm at, so. Right. No, you'll, you know what? I, I have confidence in you. You're going to be fine. Excellent. That's all yeah. I need. And if you're not, we've got a replacement. Excellent. That's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> I expect the same sympathy back when I get crook. Mm. You, oh, <laughs> don't right. worry. You'll get it. Fantastic. Well, look, <laughs> today, to try and make you feel a bit better. We'll go back in the time when you weren't sick, and we're going to have a look at the uh, 2004 season mm. and also have a look at um, some of the rule changes that have happened uh, in the time between then and now, the the good and the bad. So I'll, I'll look at some of the rules that did come in in 2004, and we'll go from there. So there was two main ones. The first one was um, a 90-second shot clock was brought in to for players taking shots at goal to try and stop time-wasting because it started getting a bit out of control. Mm-hmm. And the other one was a change which saw attackers who were held up by defenders in the in goal would continue the set but had to play the ball on the 10-metre line. Mm-hmm. That's I hated that it. second one, hey. I hate it. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like going back two tackles almost when you when you had to go back that far. Yeah, and, and it's like the whole... It just stops the flow of the game. There's something unnatural about the whole idea of... Um, you know, you just get up, run back to the 10-meter line and play the ball. It just seems stupid to me. I've never liked it. And, uh, you know, if they changed it back to the old way, I'd be pretty happy about that. But I can't see changing now. It's been in for too long. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and that's one of the things I jotted down that I'd, I'd really liked the introduction of was a shot clock. And um, even most recently, you know, the... Uh, the whole 30 seconds for a dropout as well and, and stuff like that. It's been really positive, positive. And um, I think that's something the game's tried to do is is reduce the amount of time wasting that players, um, you know, players try and get away with. So that's been a real positive. Yeah, and also the the scrum one as well. You know, all these times where the players are trying to take any opportunity they could to sort of get a break and slow the game down. We needed to do away with that so that you can still get proper fatiguing games and bring the little guys into the game. So I, I was quite quite happy with that one too. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been an improvement having those shot clocks. We need the bloody referees to be put full on with those whistles. Though. We've seen in the last few weeks the buzz has gone off and it has been before kicks have been, like dropouts have been taken and stuff like that. I'd like to be see the referees be super ruthless with it because um, it's going to stop teams going up to the last few seconds. They're going to take these dropouts a few seconds earlier to not get the penalties. So I think I've only seen a couple of penalties given for time wasting. Um, I think I saw one from a scrum, and I think I saw one from a dropout. I might be wrong on that one, but I'm sure I've seen two of them. But we need to see more of them, in my opinion. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, Another thing I just wanted to touch on. You said we're talking about 2004. What a year 2004 was. Anyone else agree? What a year. It was a great year. Brilliant year. Well, you know, it, it showed that you could break the salary cap by millions of dollars, keep your team together disgracefully, beat the Panthers in the semi-final, who were the rifle premiers, all <laughs> under the cap, and then go on to win a premiership. Terrible. <laughs> well, we'll agree to disagree, but, hey, look, at least... Um, Melbourne got away with it years later as well. Yeah, and, set a uh, I mean, look, Roosters as well. Look, it's. Um, I think you're just going to have to get over it, mate. Just get over it. It was so long ago. Look at it from my point of view, though. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a pretty okay. sound argument. It's a great <laughs> argument. Yeah, that was good. You're right. All right. Well, we'll we'll start off. I've got these in a mostly chronological order, so we'll go from there. Mm. Um. Tell me, tell me to go to the next one if you can't think of anything to speak about them. Okay, so the first one is the Rugby League Players Association became the first sporting body to be registered as a trade union. They mm-hmm. then agreed to no salary cap increases for three years. As but, you do, if you're a player, you know, that's that was in the interest of the players. They start yeah. up a players association and say, yeah, just keep all the money. Fantastic. Well, in, in true union fashion, though, two weeks after they said they, they were happy to have no salary cap increases, they then demanded to have a half a million dollar increase for the, that current year. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> for that current year. That's great. Oh, my God. It's wonderful. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Darren Lockie was revealed that he'd be switching to 5-8 for the 2004 season. It'll never work. <laughs> <laughs> the West Tigers won the World Sevens, their first title. Yeah, that's the only success they'll have going forward. I was going to say the what now? Who, how many people remember that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bradford beat Penrith 22-4 to in the World Club Challenge. Yeah, I remember that. That was a, a classic pommy screw job. It's the only way they can get success over there. Miserable hey, bastards. The, who, who was the Golden Boot winner that year as well, Freak? Uh, it was it was the most losing captain in international <laughs> rugby league history. It sure was. Good old pan face. I think we could do a whole um, segment, a whole show on that one. Oh, I've got all of we, his records. We might have I got to. I got his captaincy record on my website. It's hilarious to read through. Jesus, we'll definitely go through that. Now, the first first big story that came on in the off season was the Bulldogs Coffs Harbour scandal, and um, it went on for a few months. Eventually, what we end up seeing was obviously a, a few fines were dished out. Um, they were based; they came from the club or the NRL. the The board, the Bulldogs board, lost uh, quite a few people. They end up having News Limited executive Malcolm Node take over the club, mm. and uh, in the end, it was found that uh, the police didn't have didn't press any charges anyway. Yeah, and that was the first time we saw. 
uh, the whole look at what they're wearing. When, remember when they turned up at the yeah. police station? Yeah. Was like, oh, that's what, pretty much what, what they're they, wearing. Pretty yeah, much they, they, the only thing they had against the whole the whole of those six players that were accused. The only thing mm. they had against them is that they uh, didn't didn't rock up in a suit and tie when they went for questioning. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I've got a lot to say. I would have a lot to say on that whole um, the whole saga, but I think it's it's kind of been done to death already. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's still a lot that lingers from that. There's still mm-hmm. the whole, um, oh, you're all rapists and blah, blah. You cop that at every, pretty much every game. You're going to get that. And every time a fan has a crack at the Bulldogs, they'll call them rapists and all the rest of it. I don't think that's ever going to go away, unfortunately, no matter how many times you bring up the facts and, and, and everything else. And, you know, there's a lot that I've been told from people in the know at the time that, you know, I probably can't repeat, but... Um, yeah, I, I think it was a very tough time, obviously, for the club and for the game. Um, but at the end of the day, the facts are no one did anything wrong. Uh, and I think a lot of people forget that. Um, yeah, and, and look, they one, just... I was going to say, one story that, that stood out from that for me was when Hazemil Masri refused to have a DNA test because yeah. he was so offended that he was being you know, and linked with such a crime because he'd, he's always been a clean-skinned bloke. Mm. Yeah, and then that, you know, good on him for standing by what he believes in and all the rest of it. Um, you know, he was, he's the last bloke you'd think would do anything wrong. And, you'd, you know, when he said he went to bed at 7 o'clock and he stayed in his hotel room, you'd bloody believe it. But um, Absolutely. I think he ended up doing a little bit more damage to himself in the public eye than, you know, obviously what was intended. Because um, I, I remember at the time a lot of people would, were coming and saying, well, if you had nothing to hide, why? Why would you refuse it? He must be involved, blah, 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 you know. And you still get that. People I talk to that want to have a go at the club and a go at the Bulldogs still still bring that El Masri DNA thing up, um, which is a bit ridiculous. But, yeah, it just goes to show you try and do the right thing and you try and stick by your beliefs, but you're never going to keep everyone happy. No, that's right. I also um, think it goes against what most rugby league players are like. They love sharing their DNA. <laughs> just ask the Panthers. How dare you? Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was looking at a tape online. I come across something and it just, never mind. Where would you even find a tape like that? Like, hang on, let me look for it. (laughs) Oh, there it is. It's in your your WhatsApp group. Ah, favourites. Here it is. (laughs) All right, well, moving on. uh, Jamie Lyon played one game for Parramatta and then decided he didn't want to play for him anymore. He took Mm. up a lucrative offer to play for the WeWa Panthers. Yeah. Uh, He was homesick. There was a bit of a contractual dispute where the Panthers wouldn't let him, wouldn't release him to go take on this much higher role, but eventually they they um, relented and let him play. And mm. in his first game there, he scored I think one try and seven goals and a fifty-two to twenty win over Coonabarra Brand. I remember that. <laughs> and they were a good team that year too. Coonabarra Brand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were pretty solid. I can't remember yeah. anything else that went on that year for them. But the yeah. only thing that was upsetting for from that move is that he ended up, um, you know, taking a step back after he went to Wee War, t- took a step back into a lower grade. So, you know, just unfortunate for his career at that time. Yes, they did. In in his defence, though, it was hard to turn down the big money offer that St Helens did pay him. Mm. Uh, I can see why he made that decision to go to go down the grade there, but yeah. Um, another controversy here. This one's for Penrith, actually. You, I don't know if you remember this one. The man who wore the costume for Paws, the Penrith Panthers mascot, was sacked after being found guilty of eleven charges of fraud. 
I dare no, say I remember a, this. I, I remember. dare say a, I dare say a twelfth charge of masquerading as a cat was probably dropped. Yeah, it's it like what the hell, man? <laughs> so strange. I don't. I I think paws because they've got like what's the main one called? Claws and paws. I think it is. And I don't know that paws is always there anymore. Um, obviously, it's a different person in the suit. It's probably um, weekend detention. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's real to me. Damn it, but. Um, yeah, that was a very strange one. Mm. That's old. I hadn't heard of that one before. Mm. Granted, I was 14 at the time, so, you know, might not and, remember a lot from back then, but. And not being a Panthers fan, probably didn't care. Well, true. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> much, much like myself. <laughs> even, though, <laughs> even though, fun fact, I was born in Penrith and everyone always says, well, why aren't you a Penrith fan if you were born in Penrith? But, you know, anyway. Right, well, there was a two-week period here where the West Tigers got royally screwed over. Um, the first one was they were playing against South Sydney. The game went to extra time, or golden point. The referee, Steve Lyons, forgot to call time after the first five minutes and let them switch sides. And um, when the five minutes came up, South had the South had their uh, ball in possession. It was the first tackle. They finished the set, and at the end, Willie Peters kicked a field goal to win the game in the sixth minute of the match. So the mm-hmm. West Tigers launched a... Uh, complaints saying that teams in the teams who lose in golden points should still get one competition point. I think that's a great idea, um, even still now. But uh, yeah, that's I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I, I hate, hate that, that idea game. though. Crazy. I hate the it's idea. Crazy. I think I think if you lose, you lose. Like you can't turn a competition. You can't turn any competition game into one that has three competition points available. Um, and I just think you lose, you lose. Like it's it's not rugby union where they give or AFL where they give points for failures. So yeah. I see um, your point I, there, but you, you don't yeah. think that you don't think two teams that bash it out for eighty minutes and then they're level, then maybe the you know that turns into a goal, a, a drop goal-a-thon. You don't think the the losing team maybe deserves something, or there's some way to maybe reward them, or do we just look at ending the match in the draw stuff, golden point altogether? No, I like Golden Point, but I just think if you lose, you lose. Like you should have no, you should win nothing. You should be given nothing. Um, and if you don't like it, win in the first eighty minutes of the game. Yeah, well, that's true. That's a that's a good way to put it as well, I guess. Yeah. For me, um, I'd prefer if we just went back to the draw. But if we have to have um, extra time, then actually have genuine extra time where it doesn't matter who scores first. What matters is who's got the most points on the scoreboard at the end of extra time. And if it's still a draw, then so be it. Leave it at that. Um, I just think Golden Point has become a bit, um, I think, dull. And it's 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 odd to say that given that there's so much excitement because you're trying to find out who's going to win. But you just see the same plays every time and just people just barge up the guts and then just have a crack of field goal. And mm. to me, that's not that's not entertaining. That's not what I, that's not what I want to see in extra point. Or, you know, yeah. extra, extra time. I want to see something a bit better than that. Uh, see, I like it. I really like Golden Point. And I like to go and sit and watch a game and know that someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. Like, I like I like all of that sort of stuff. So um, I don't care how they win it. Um, you normally see the teams that are more composed win more of the Golden Point games overall over time. Um, it can get a bit scrappy, but I've got no problems with that. I like seeing rugby league played in all sorts of different ways. So, but yeah, I I, I don't like draws. I think draws are 
bloody disappointing. All right, well, uh, a week after that drama with the Tigers, they came up against the Broncos, and for a brief moment in the game, the Broncos actually had 14 players on the field. I remember that. (laughs) They won the game 32-24. The club managed to escape with just a fine and not losing their competition points, which was the first time a team had actually broken that rule and not lost points. A month later, though, the NRL said that the points are going to be stripped, and then a month after that, the Broncos had a whinge and they got the points reinstated. It's not like the Broncos to have a whinge. What are you talking about? Jesus. <laughs> now, yeah. now, when you say a brief moment, do we do we know how long they were on the field for? Because well, I remember in a Bulldogs versus Panthers match, there was a little bit of a confusion with the site with the interchange official, and I think Andrew Ryan it was it might have been stayed on the field when an interchange had been made for about ten seconds or something like that, and then he went off on the far side. It was literally like ten seconds he was on the field for, and the Bulldogs lost the points and tried to recover them, and the NRL said, no, nah, you're getting them stripped. Um, yeah. How long How long was that Broncos bloke on the field for? I'm not too sure. I'm to be honest, I can't really remember the incident, which makes me think that maybe it was just something to do with a player who was injured in back play and not actually in the mm-hmm. defensive line, and they brought a replacement player on. So it was still generally 13 versus 13 on the field yeah. In, yeah. You know, in play. And I think it might have been something like that. So... It never stood out to me, and I don't think I ever had any drama whether the Broncos got docked the points or not. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the Tigers had another winter about that. So they, they didn't have a good month there. They had more drama later on, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, Greg Berg got suspended for 10 weeks for kneeing Shane Martini in the head. <laughs> yes. Doesn't that. sound like Greg Bird. No. He's a nice man. He only glasses women. Oh, shit. Allegedly. Sorry. Sorry, allegedly, my mistake. Not touching that. <laughs> That's what she said. Moving right along. Yeah. Um, over in England, Sean Long and Martin Gleeson were both fined and suspended, one for three months, one for four, for their involvement in a match-fixing scandal where they placed mm-hmm. bets on Bradford to beat their sides and Helens. I remember this one. They should have both been banned from the game for life. I tend to agree. I think match-fixing is something where there's... I mean, it doesn't get much more blatant than that, especially when you're betting on your side to lose. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. um, and the, it, the other like thing ben. was, the other thing is too, it, it, because the Challenge Cup has had a few issues with betting by players, allegedly, and uh, it just should be a life ban. You, you know, if you start betting on, on your team and stuff, you shouldn't be betting on the game at all in general, but you start betting on your team, life ban, that's it. See you later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Should be. Once you start dealing with the, the integrity of a match, yeah, that, mm. that's unforgivable. Um, grapple tackles became a big issue, and the NRL eventually, by the uh, halfway through the season, decided to ban them. Wow. When Did someone tell the players? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, I think in the following year, they also had the, the chicken wing and something else also got banned. Yeah. So, it was just the start of a bit of a run there where they, they kept trying to find a way around the system, I think. Yeah, and the media started tagging everything with a name as well and saying it was the worst thing ever, which was annoying. Mm. Um, I mean, the crusher, all of them things, they happened at about that time. Um, you know, it, it, it really just needed the play the ball area um, cleared up a little bit and stop allowing players to slow it down, um, but, you know, the media turned it into 
a farce, really. And of course, the NRL just reacts to what the pl- the uh, media is whinging about most of the time. Oh, uh, there's that awkward silence moment again. Yeah, I thought, given that we had a media bloke here, you might stand up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, stay out of that one. <laughs> no, okay, we'll take it. That's a grace on your behalf. Yeah, exactly. Alrighty. Um, Big moment, Danny Williams, King hit Mark O'Neill in a sickening, cowardly punch, which left O'Neill knocked out and convulsing on the ground. I was actually at Leichhardt for this one. Yeah, um, I watched that on YouTube not long ago, actually. it was uh, It's still one of the most bizarre, sickening well, things I think I've ever seen on a Williams, footy field, and it's just... Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, Williams claimed that he was concussed and didn't know what he was doing, and he was using that as his defence. Mm. Um. It didn't work because he got an 18-week suspension, which effectively ended his NRL career. It was the longest suspension handed out since Steve Lenane copped 20 weeks for two counts of eye gouging in 1987, one of which was on Greg Alexander, who ended up with a bandage over his eye. Wow. Yeah. See, I don't think 18 weeks was enough for that. It makes you um, wonder, though, just say he did it now, with all of the talk about concussions and things, if he did it now, would it be seen in a more sympathetic light? And I doubt it would be, because it was, when you watch it, it, it was just, a, it's very rare that I would say that there was just an assault on the field. It seemed like an assault. I mean, uh, O'Neill wasn't looking at him. Um, he was sort of away, it was just, he was kind of looking away from the play and going to move on and... And William sort of just stood up and, and knocked him out. It definitely um, was, yeah. It definitely was an assault. Yeah. I mean, you, you think if that would happen in, in out in public or something like that, you know, you're looking at jail time and, and that mm. was um you, you couldn't use concussion as a as an excuse there. But at the same time and you know, it's um you're not to take mental illness lightly the same way you're not supposed to, you know, these days can't take concussions lightly and that kind of thing, but it would probably, if that was to happen this day, you, they they probably would try and use that as a, as an excuse, wouldn't they? And that's supposed to, you know, everyone's supposed to be so sympathetic to people that have concussion in this day and age. And and you know, who knows how it would go if you come out and said, you know, I was I was so concussed, I didn't know what I was doing. I wonder how people would react. Well, you know, with the O.J. Simpson's lawyers, uh, they said that if they had to go through the trial again, and it looked like. Um, they were going to lose it. And, I mean, obviously you won it, but they said that they'd probably look at doing a CTE case and say that he was suffering from CTE mm. um, and to to have seen if they could have got some leniency out of that, which I think is interesting. But, um, yeah, it's, it's weird that at the time when he said he was concussed, no one cared. And I, I think it would be pretty similar now, but I do think that there would be some whether he got weeks reduced because of that, if if they had a doctor come in and say, look, he'd been hit in a tackle and, and did seem concussed, or even if it was that tackle, um, it might be it might have been uh, seen in a bit of a different light from the judiciary, but I still think he would have been on the sidelines for most of the season after that because that was terrible. Yeah, yeah I, I think the, the fact that O'Neill was on the ground convulsing, um, I think that's the the enduring image that a lot of people would have from that. And I think that's what they'd probably be. Because we know that the NRL suspends players based on the impact of the injury as well. So I think seeing that and knowing what had happened there, um, I think they probably would still stick with a a hefty suspension. Whether it would be as long, I'm not too sure. It might be a few weeks shorter, but not by much. Um, Yeah, that was... 
that was a horrible thing. Um, William saw at his penalty and went over and played two years with the London Broncos after that before retiring. Yeah, and he, I mean, thinking back 2004, I mean, the London Broncos go from being broke to being back to being broke again, so he wouldn't have had too much fun back then at the Broncos. I, I would dare say that he didn't get all of the money that his contract said he was going to get. Which, you know, calm as a bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so after that suspension, Clint Newton a month later copped 12 weeks for a sickening tackle on Ashton Sinch, which left him with a broken jaw. I don't know if anyone remembered that one. No, I don't remember that one. Who was that? Clint Newton. Yeah, I kind of do. Um, rings a bell. Let me have a look. And uh, at the end of the year, Clint Newton accepted a role, I think, as, as either captain or coach of the United States America uh, Rugby League team. Mm. And there was yeah. some conjecture about whether he'd be able to play because I think he was arguing that his suspension was 12 weeks of NRL, which meant because he was playing for America in a non-NRL game, he'd be able to play for it. Yeah. Um, Did that go through? Because you, you never know how it goes with international rugby league. Sometimes they apply the rules when the NRL sort of stands up and says, no, we're going to make sure that this happens. And then other times the NRL doesn't really care. And so neither does the rest of the world. <laughs> um, I don't think it was, up, I don't think it was upheld. Mm. No. Yeah. No, I just looked at that. I just, I just looked at that um, tackle. Then it was the elbow. And he said it was a shoulder charge gone wrong. To me, it just looked like he ran in yeah. and elbowed the bloke. Crazy. Yeah, I remember it, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great. It was um, in a tackle with um, the big bald fella, bloody hell, Simpson. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Newton's just come in, elbow up. So that was nasty. Wow, 12 weeks, okay. Well, speaking, of, nas- speaking of nasty... The next month, this is getting around the September period, Melbourne Storm appoint former St Kilda boss Brian Waldron as their CEO. Anyone that got any stories about well. Brian Waldron? <laughs> oh, he's a great fellow. Yeah, no, a lot. He's, a, he's a nice guy. Yep. I said he's good at maths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's a good reader. He likes books. Yeah, he's off. Um, he's working in the library at the moment. I wonder how many books are in that library. Quite a few. There's only one or two that are hidden. No one's allowed to look at them for some reason. He won't tell anyone why, but... Anyway, it's up to him. Now, I'm up to check, but did he actually go back to an AFL team after the drama at the Storm? I feel like he might have. Did he go and do something with that um, second Sydney club? It might have been yeah, that. Yeah, Giants, maybe. Let me have a look on yeah. uh, Google to the rescue, hey? I think that um, maybe that was somebody else. I'm th- no, I'm thinking, of, um, I'm thinking of another rugby league guy that did that. But there's some good headlines about Brian Waldron on, on the internet just from this year. One, <laughs> was, one where he said, they think they know the truth, but they don't. Yeah, that's always really good. Like when when there's an investigation done and they find that your team has been systematically rorting the salary cap for many years and like later on you say, well, we should get our, our titles back and there's so much they know that they don't. Or there's so much they think they know that they don't. It's like, come on, man, which one is it? Mm. Yeah, bloody hell. Because yeah. I think you also had a bit of drama at St Kilda when he was there. Uh, they didn't really do their homework too much there, the Storm. 
Well, I think that they probably would have thought that it would have been a good idea to have somebody running the club that maybe knew the Melbourne market pretty well. And uh, I can see that point of view. But it didn't really... I mean, did it work out for them? They got a lot of titles where it, when he was there. Um, but it did draw the club into a lot of scandal. And, you know, was it yeah. worth it? I was just don't understand it? if you're going to cheat the salary cap so badly, why would you keep a little black book of how you cheated? You know, it um, does my head in. It's funny how a lot of people in rugby league, in, in administration or in coaching, leave really, really stupid trails. Like, we heard of Shane Flanagan sending emails to himself of all the... Yes. You know, you just think, what, what part of you thinks, yeah, this won't get tracked? Mm. <laughs> why do you think the Roosters are so good at what they're doing? Pilatus is a smart man. He doesn't keep any emails or books. It's just joking. Um, just joking, Roosters fans. Calm down. Well, we, we mentioned... We're going to get two I'm... emails now because of that. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm going to oh, get you me. sued. Jesus Christ. No, no. We'll Obviously. just pass those on to you. It's okay. okay. We like to share. <laughs> Look, the... Uh... We, we we mentioned it once before, I think, about, you know, the West Tigers being upfront and honest about the whole Robbie Farrah thing. And they got burnt for that. So, mm. you know, the NRL's got to be blamed for that because they're they're not they're not allowing people to be honest. Yep. <laughs> um Ken Arthurson retired from all involvement with the game in October. He was the manly chairman at the time that he decided to, to walk away. Geez, that bloke must have aged, I reckon, about 300 years in the uh, during that Super League war. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, he, he would have been leaving um, Manly at a time when they were at a pretty low ebb. Um, they really struggled coming out of the other end of the Super League war. Uh, they merged with North Sydney um, and then changed their name after they'd merged with North, North Sydney back to Manly Seagulls. So... Um, a very strange time for for the club, and he saw a lot of rotten things happen to the club that he loved. Um, and yeah, it's it's weird to think that it was that long ago that he stepped down. I guess he was still old back then, you know. It, we were looking it up the other day. He's ninety now, so he, he he stuck around for a long time. But yeah, a bit of a changing of the guard there at Manly. That might have been pretty close to them being privatised as well. That probably come just, a, you know, within the next 18 months after he stood down, I would suggest. Yeah, I think it probably was. Um, here's, here's one for Matt. I don't know if you remember this one, mate. The ARU got a bit cranky with the Bulldogs over the contract status of Braith and Asta. It was reported that the ARU had approached Anasta about switching codes. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, a little bit of going back and forth and they were a bit unhappy. I mean, shit, looking back, I should have just let, let him bloody go. But anyway. Um, yeah. You've got to love Rugby Union back then, just you being know, upset that he had a contract. I know. Bloody oath. Bloody oath. See, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, he was he was a good player back in his day, Wraith, wasn't he? He was good. And that, that left-hand combination that he built up throughout 2004 with, you know, he had Willie Mason on the left with him and Andrew Ryan and, it did really well, but then, you know, now you look back and you think, well, maybe we should have just let him go to the RU and we could have kept Thurston. But, um, you know, oh, well, things happen for a reason and they won a premiership. So, um, 
but yeah, anything to do with the ARU back then, I don't think a lot of people would have taken much notice of, and I still don't care, to be honest. <laughs> they can <laughs> well, win all they want. The ARU were on a pretty big recruitment drive within the NRL that year. They'd been targeting yeah. um, Sonny Bill Williams, I think, and also Andrew Johns. So, Jesus. Yeah, they they look out. Look how it worked out for Rugby Union. I mean, they chucked it, all of that money at Rugby League players. They let their junior develop the very small junior development that they had rot away. And uh, look where they're at today. It's yeah, beautiful. That's right. It's I was going to say, beautiful. it's just magnificent. Mm. What a sport. Now the, uh, the last point I had on here, which we've already touched on, was um, the Golden Boot was won by Andy Farrell. And a lot of people in the media in Australia said he wasn't even the best player in the Great Britain test side, let alone good enough to win the award. Uh, can I, I'll just say one thing about the Golden Boot. It's about as much of a joke as the Dally M's. And now I'll let Freaky go off. Go for it, mate. The floor is yours. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Andy Farrell, he gets the Golden Boot Award on the way out as he switches to Rugby Union, which was fantastic. Good luck to everybody that gave him that award. But to say he was the best player in the world is a load of shit. And they knew it at the time. And that's when they started moving the goalposts on the Golden Boot Award because they started saying, well, it's about international footy when they needed it to be. And then they'd say, well, it's about just club footy when they needed it to be. And now who gives a fuck about the Golden Boot Award? It's run by like a a magazine over in the UK that has a circulation that's absolutely tiny. So who gives a shit? Well said, and, uh, well said my I was, friend. I was going to say, got any, um, got any memories of Andy Farrell? Yeah, I do. You know, my favourite memory of Andy Farrell is when the Great Britain team, talking themselves up non-stop, come over to Australia mid-season, and we absolutely put, put the cleaners through them at the SFS, and Andy Farrell in the half where Great Britain nearly had a point a minute put on them, he'd made like something ridiculous like two tackles in the whole half, and it was like, yeah, great leadership, Andy. Fuck off to Rugby Union. Was, was that in 2002, where yeah. Australia won 64-10? Yeah, yeah, and a 64-10, like, just chilling out for the last 30 minutes of the match was hilarious, and they'd been talking up all of these players, oh, this player's the best in the world, that player's the best in the world, and they come over here and got absolutely annihilated. It was fantastic. I wonder what their excuses were. You know what it was? You know what it was? And this is from memory. That game, I think, was refereed by a dude called Smith. I can't remember his first name, and he was a pom. Russell Smith. Russell Smith. Russell Smith, and they yep. said he was so unbiased that he was biased against uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. I'm not joking, right? And so that was their whole thing. But, yeah, they always had an excuse. I mean, now they're like, oh, we're so close to Australia, and it's like, yeah, you haven't scored a, a point against us in your last two games. You know, we're not worried about you lot. I need you to. Um, I need you to look up his stats from that match. I want to know how many missed tackles he would have made in that match. I'm just, I'm just looking up the team lineups, and I must admit they they don't look really that strong on either side. Like, I, Australia... I just want to know compared to uh, compared to James Maloney, who seems to be copping a lot of flack these days for missing so many bloody tackles a match. I want to know how many Farrell would have missed back back in that Test match. Um, 64-10, I'd say I'm most off. of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They spent well, most of their time standing under the goalpost. <laughs> it was fantastic. Well, at the end of the year, we saw um, some, some team win the premiership. I don't know if anyone remembers who that was. 
Sorry, what team was that? Was that um, that wouldn't have been the Bulldogs sixteen thirteen over the Rabbitohs, would it? Uh, over I, the Roosters, would it? I wasn't even watching. You weren't watching. <laughs> no, disgraceful, disgraceful. That oh. that that was that <laughs> tackle Andrew Ryan made at the end on Crocker was better than bloody Sattler's tackle on, uh, on the sideline. I reckon I'm going to call it. It was no. it was amazing. <laughs> go you go back and watch it. He was through the line with support no. plays. He, Andrew Ryan didn't make that tackle. The match was over. Roosters win. No. It was amazing. No, don't. You know, there's no arguing here. It was the best tackle. No. You're not allowed to have an opinion. No. Okay. Moving on. That was... Uh, I, I remember there was a bit of a sentimentality that it was going to be one of the least watched grand finals because there's two teams that, you know, they were, it was being played between two teams who were no one's second team. Yeah, pretty much. And everyone was really saying... Huh? No one cares about this game. Yeah, they probably won. the most memorable for, memorable moment from that match was the girl, the poor girl in the crowd, the Roosters fan crying. Jeez, yes. cheek it. Even now, there's memes about that. She's probably got herself some some psychiatrist now. She's in her thirties or something. Yeah, it probably. Was, it was upsetting for her though because, like, she'd got she she had all of her jerseys lined up. She couldn't wear a Souths one, obviously, and she couldn't wear a Dragons one from a few years before. So, and the, you know, she couldn't wear a Sydney Swans one, so she had to wear a Roosters one that day. Tricolors. Poor girl. Poor girl. <laughs> right, hey, well, another, I'll ask you another yeah. thing about 2004. 2004, yeah. two breakout stars. So you had Sonny Bill and you had Carmichael Hunt. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, Sonny Bill got injured throughout the year, and but he was still... You know, everyone was talking up, you know, that holy crap, we can't believe there's a player like this that's 18 years old and he's doing what he's doing. But then Carmichael Hunt came on the scene as well at Brisbane when Darren Lockie moved to 5'8". Do you guys remember much about that year? Who would you say had the better year, Sonny Bill or Carmichael? For me, the one thing I remember straight away was people saying that Carmichael Hunt had a bigger sidestep than Benji Marshall. Because mm. they, both, they both came along around the same time. Benji played a handful of games in 2003. And... Every time I watched Carmichael Hunt play, I said, how can anyone say that they have a better sidestep than Benji Marshall? Benji's, yeah. Benji's sidestep is still insane to look at 10, 10 12 years on, 15 Isn't years it? on. Yeah, that try against Cronulla will just oh. forever in everyone's heads. That was unbelievable. And you're just not going to see... You're not going to see a human do that again for a long time. And Carmichael had a good step, of course, but... I saw him more as just someone kind of like um, Valentine Holmes, just ran mm. the ball back with absolutely no fear. Um, yeah. And I'd never seen a fullback run the ball back as hard as him. That's my biggest memory of Hunt in his first year. He he ran it back and he didn't care if he was going to get knocked out or not. He just... Hard and straight. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's weird how if you think of him, though, as a youngster and all the promise he had, and, I mean, he was straight into the Australian team... Um, and, like, look at where his career went. It's kind of disappointing, really. Yeah. Now there's talk that um, the Dogs are going to try and bring Sonny Bill back to end his career at the Bulldogs. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Would the Bulldogs fans welcome him back after the way he left the club in the lurch? You know what? I like to say that I'm one of the most passionate blokes in all forms of life. You know, I'm very passionate. I wear my heart on my sleeve, very opinionated and... I held a grudge against that fella for a long, 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 long time. And it sickened me to see him come back and play for the Roosters and, and all the rest. But you know what? Even 
um, it, just the last year or two, I've kind of listened to a lot of things he's had to say and looked into how he's, you know, converted to Islam and all the rest of it. He's trying to do good things in his life. And, you know, young people make dumb mistakes. And I think he definitely was young and dumb. And from my point of view, I, I would welcome him back. I think he's apologised to the club and to the fans for the way he went about things. I think he genuinely knows that he was young and he was dumb and he did a, you know, a bad thing by doing what he did under those circumstances. I'm sure he'd do the same thing and still leave, um, but he'd probably go about it a different way. So for me, I think I would, I would welcome him back. Is the fact that he'd be 34 an issue? Not I with him. Not, you know, you look at him and the way that he is and, and, uh, it's still the the shape that he's in and the way that he still plays. It's it wouldn't wouldn't be an issue to me personally. I'm sure a lot of other fans, I'd say more than more than likely, most Bulldogs fans would want him to go jump. Um, well, I, but he'd, I, he'd warm on them because I'd assume that he would come over not cheaply. And that's the thing is that when you're paying mm. supremely high dollars for a bloke who's going to be 34, yeah. There's a bit of hesitation amongst a lot of fans and, and clubs as well about doing those sort of deals. Yeah, see, I don't know. I think that, that would be a lot of assumptions from fans as well. Um, they would think that he's going to be on, you know, top dollar. He might not be. Like you said, he's older now. He's towards the end of his career. He's he's already swimming in money. He's got more than he, he knows what to do with. He's still got all these personal sponsorship deals, his boxing stuff. I don't. I don't think he would come back too expensive. To be honest, you know, I, I don't think he'd be asking for six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand bucks a year. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm. I'm actually going to the Bulldogs match tomorrow at ANZ, um, and I'm lucky enough to be in um, some of the box areas there. So I might try and have a chat with a few people in the know and see what the, the go is with Sonny Bill. But I would say it'd be, it's going to be something that's kept quite secret, but hopefully I can yeah, find something out. But um, for me, I, I would welcome him back, but I don't know how other Bulldogs fans out there would feel. I think they would probably um, not be too happy with the decision. See, I, I think that the this is the way I look at it. I find Sonny Bill Williams boring, and I hate nothing more than see bloody footballers and sports people in general turning into philosophers and barely being able to construct sentences and telling you about how life works. It's like, go fuck yourself. So yeah. there's that to get out the way first. Well, true, the, true. The second thing is, if I'm the Bulldogs, I tell Sonny Williams to fuck off. You know, he screwed that club and they should have some balls, you know. So, no, as a club, we're worth more than that. You're never coming back. You're never being welcomed back. Sorry is for you. Sorry isn't for us. So I, I would hope that the Bulldogs just tell him to rack off. Yeah, I'll see your point of view, absolutely. And I can see why a lot of people would agree with that. But I think the Dogs have already welcomed him back. Um, over in New Zealand, they had him present some jerseys to debutants earlier this year. Or they were going, he was going to until, um, until the Christchurch thing come along. So I think um, then he ended up catching up with Hazamel Mazur and a few other blokes from 2004 and then a few club officials. So, And that's where all the rumours started that the dogs would offer him to come back to end his career at the club. So I, I think the current crop of Bulldogs management have, have probably forgiven him, um, to be honest with you. I mean, 
I can definitely see your point, and I can see why a lot of fans would agree with that as well. But um, you know, I, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen with Sonny Bill? It could all just be media talk. We don't know. Yeah. So uh, very good points all made there. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about from two thousand and four? Not necessarily from 2004, but when we were having a chat off air about what we were going to talk about for this episode, I was thinking of jotting down some changes just over the last, I guess, the last 10, 15 years to now. And uh, I haven't gone as in-depth with you, and these aren't in order, and I don't know what year, you know, I didn't take the the time to figure out what year. But little things that I've thought about that have been real good bonuses, and it's something that I, I specifically remember really gave me the shits growing up watching footy was you'd see these great wingers when they started developing into these big, tall, powerful blokes that are jumping through the air to score in the corner. Um, but, you know, an air, a hair on their arm touches the corner post and they rule the they rule the try and no try. Um, so when they brought in that the corner posts were there purely as a marker um, or if the ball hit them on a kick, for example, but, you know, a bloke can still tumble over them and score a try if they're in the air. I really, really like that small change that they brought in. Do you guys remember what year that might have been? 2010. Yeah, 2010. Okay, there you go. It's been a while now. Um, Yeah, I I agree. That was the... um, That was one of the greatest rule changes come about. And I think Andrew Voss deserves a lot more credit for for his work on getting that in there because a lot of people say there's a lot of people within the ARL and whatnot else making that decision, but he he pushed that campaign pretty strongly for a long time. And rightfully so. I, oh, great absolutely. Absolutely. I have no problems with that that previous rule, hey. Really? Yeah, it didn't yeah. didn't bother me. It's like could if you, you're, I like that no, if you're a good winner. I, was, I wasn't you bothered could, by it either. But yeah, look, I wasn't bothered by it either. But I think that changing the rule has actually made the game better. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, could you imagine the amount of the amount of less tries would have now if if you still couldn't touch the corner post if you're in the air? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, the, I, I would say more than half the tries that we see winger score at the moment would be ruled as no tries if, if that corner post was still um, in effect. Yeah, see, I, I just didn't didn't have any problems with the previous rules, but it's one of those things that is like neither here nor there with me either. It's like mm. you know, it wasn't it wasn't a massive rule change. So yeah, what about this this introduction, which has been fairly recent? The time off at the end of the game. What is it? The last. The last five minutes or something. As soon as as soon as there's a stoppage, they'll they'll call time off to save time towards the end of the yeah. match. What do you guys think about that? I like that. I think that's been a really good change. It's stopped a lot of time wasting. Um, yeah. It stopped you looking at the clock and being angry because the clock's still counting down. I think that's been a really good one. What, why is a... it just at the end? Sorry, I was just going to say but... why just at the end of the match? What do you, do you guys think? It should just as soon as there's the, the ball goes out of play and, and you know, because people are still going to, players are still going to waste time in the 20th minute, the 25th minute, all the rest of it. Should we just be doing time off like they do at the end of the match uh, anyway? Yeah, I was going to say, I like the, the idea that what soccer does and they just have injury time at the end, but no one knows what it is. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so you just, the, the timekeeper knows, but they don't tell it to anyone. And so the players mm. are then, they don't know if there's one minute left to go or seven minutes left to go. Yep. And I think yeah. that would make for a better ending to a game than what Golden Point does. Mm. 
You just sit there going, if I kick a field goal and think, oh, we're in front, it's probably full time, we'll probably go in three minutes, to, you know, 30 seconds time. And then next thing you know, there's another three minutes, the opposition side goes and scores a try. Yeah. I just think that makes for a much more exciting ending to a match, especially when there's that antis- anticipation where you don't know when the game ends. I yeah, think that yeah. would be a, a good way to end it. I'd have that so that um, the time that's accrued for that um, extra time at the end would only be coming from the second half, not the first half. Yeah. Yeah, got you. Yeah. See, but you've got to look at the other side of that too, is that sometimes in, in games like that, um, you think there's going to be a lot of extra time, and there just isn't. There'll be 20 seconds. Oh, Jesus. my God. What the hell just happened? Someone died. That'll be a Easter egg four-year-old deciding that she's a little bit bored that Dad's still doing this podcast thing. If I knew there was going to be Easter eggs, I'd be making the same noise. Oh, I agree. Goes again. I, yeah, agree. I, know, I know you're still there, honey. I'm almost finished. Jeez Louise, God, we better wrap it up soon. Well, then, how about some fails? I was thinking about some fails that I wasn't too happy with. Um, yep. And for me, I, I mean... I don't like the idea of two refs. Uh, the, the more I did at the start, and the, the more we go on, the more I think it's a bit annoying. Um, mm-hmm. the, the amount of times you see on a field, a referee will say something to the other referee, and then that referee will turn around and go, nah, nah, I see it differently. And then they, they start second-guessing each other. And the confidence of referees, I think, is at, at an all-time low. Mm. No, I, I do agree on the the... Referees having no confidence, that's been an issue for quite a while. And mm. I don't blame the referees for that either. I think the, no. the NRL's been so passionate with the video referee and they've been trying to expand the video referee's reach into general play areas, which has caused that problem. Yeah, The video referee system they had when they first introduced it has forever been the best version they had because all they did was adjudicate on tries. The referee didn't set up whether he thought it was a try or not. Video ref ruled on it whether which way he thought it was. And if he didn't know, he said to the ref, you decide because I don't know. That's At right. the moment, they're sending up the video, they're sending up the try, whether it's try or no try. And they're guessing. It's, and they are, but it's also creating a bias up there because the video ref is now trying to figure out, what well, can I prove him wrong or can I prove him right? Instead of going, mm. is it a try or not? You know, yeah. and it, it's, it's a like little thing. competing amongst each other. That's right. It's this little conflict that's going on between them all, where instead of just looking at whether it's a try or not, and yeah. if it isn't, or if they don't know, just go ref's call, you decide. Then he can do his try or no try thing. I yeah. think I don't think there's anything wrong with that system, and I don't know why we left it. Um, and we shouldn't you know, be having video referees involved in stuff that goes on during the play as well and high tackles. No, and n- nothing annoys me more than when they kick the ball out, say, say you know, the referee rules a goal line dropout and then the bunker decides that they might interject on that play and have a look and say, oh, you know what? No, it's, a, it's actually a 20 tap. But in other aspects of the game, the bunker doesn't jump in and say, you know what, ref, you got that wrong. But, you know, they just kind of pick and choose when they inject themselves. And they should just purely be involved for tries. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, and, see, and that... I, I think that, like, I don't like... Um, the thought of expanding the use of the video referee. I don't mind referees making mistakes because they're human beings. I think I've said this on the podcast before, Um, but I I don't mind their mistakes. That's part of the game. And when players and teams are making no mistakes during a match, then I'll worry about the mistakes the referee is making. Um, I think the thing that we've seen this year is I, I tend to think that they've been a little bit better with being confident in the decisions they've made. 
Um, and I do agree that the problem has been the NRL and the way that, you know, a referee, we've seen teams get absolutely smashed. After the match, the coaches from the smash team have said, well, the referee made a decision in the 23rd minute we didn't like and he's a terrible referee. And then they've set up meetings with the NRL and the referee and it's just, you know, there's no, the, the referees obviously lose confidence in that. But yeah. uh I think they've been more. But my personal opinion is the referees have been more confident this year. There's been a few games where they've they've second guessed themselves too much, and there's been a couple of times where they've gone to the video referee where it, there was just no chance of there ever being a try, and they've used the referee video referees a backup to see if there's been a a knock on or somebody taken out in the play or something like that. But I I I tend to like the two referees. I think it was a change we needed to make to the game. I think that it. When it works properly, it stops a lot of rubbish in the ruck. The the two referees get to see things in the back play and, and things like that that I think the single referee doesn't get to see. Uh, you also yeah. got to remember that the the second referee kind of takes the place of the in-goal judge that we used to have, the in-goal judges that we used to have. So I, I like the second referee, and um, I'd like to see the – but I'd like to see the referees – been given the backing from the NRL that, you know, if they make mistakes, they make mistakes. They're human beings and um, it's part of part of the sport. You know, it's part of the human element of the sport. I think that sometimes sports get stuck into a little bit of a position where they want to remove all of the mistakes and everything and you can sanitise your sport too much. I would mm-hmm. hate to see that happen because, you know, it, it's all... The play mistakes are part of it. Referee mistakes are part of it. Injuries are a part of it. You know, um, life is what happens when plans don't go the way you expect them to go. And if we sanitise the sport completely and remove all of the elements like that out of the game, well, then we can just hand the trophy over in March and, you know, the Dragons would be premiers every year. Yeah, and you know what? I I probably would... uh be much more appreciative of the two referees if the confidence levels that we were talking about weren't so low. And that Mm -hmm. probably is where my frustration comes from personally, the fact that we've got two touch judges, we've got the two referees out there on the field, yet every try gets sent up to the bunker. It's Mm -hmm. like they're looking to see where they might have stuffed up in the lead-up. Oh, shit, did I spot a, a small obstruction? Did I see that grounding properly? Did I miss anything so basically and i think i touched on this the last time the podcast you know the last time i was on here with you guys i said i was so frustrated that the bunker is used for basically every single try and that's where this no confidence from the referees comes from Mm -hmm. um you know they tend to check absolutely everything and that that process just really really frustrates me and i'm sure it frustrates fans because that in itself is time wasting as well you know, you'll see a try get scored and I'm sure you'd be able to toss up, you know, the the stats for this if we looked into it and how many tries actually get sent up to the ref, to the bunker. Mm. It seems it seems the referees are so low on confidence they they either don't make a call or, you know, a try will be scored and they'll be looking at each other and they'll talk for a couple of seconds or literally ten seconds and then they'll send it up to the bunker. And then the bunker yeah, and- again takes so long. So Maybe we need to relook at that process because when the bunker first came in, we were told that 
the bunker would constantly be watching as soon as a try looked like it was going to be scored. Um, as soon as the ball went over the line, the bunker was going to be looking straight away at potential offside obstruction or whatever, um, and the process would be really quick. But now the process has slowed right down again, um, and they need to they need to try and fix that. And at the same time, they need to give these referees a boost to confidence because I'm sick of talking about referees. I'm sick of whinging about referees. And I'm sure the referees are probably sick of everyone giving them shit as well. Yeah. Look, I remember watching a, um, I think it was an NFL films thing about the the NFL referees and how they prepared for their seasons. And one of the big things for them is that they used to say that you only call things that you actually see. And that w- that meant that you didn't guess what happened. So if a ball come out, you didn't guess that it was stripped. You only called stripped if you saw a ball being stripped. And I think that ref- the NRL referees would be good to go down that line because if something happens in a, in a try-scoring play that they don't see and it would have been called back for an obstruction or something, I, I don't mind it. If the referee just didn't see it, that's fine by me. But I know that I'm a little bit different to a lot of fans. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one thing I would say, that I would like to see them not take a guess on on the ball being stripped and stuff like that. And I think they've been way better on that this year. Um, but I, there's always room for improvement, as there is with the players. So um, it's just a matter of trying to get the best out of your performance um, there's a lot of players on the field. There's a few referees on the field and on the sidelines, and you know they're all human. I, I've got no problems if they make a mistake, just as long as it's not against Penrith. I think the uh, the problem I find with the the issues with the referees does tend to be the huge amount of emphasis put on them by the media, and how every little mistake made by a referee is somehow game changing or game defining, mm. mm-hmm. and I think that's that's been a big reason uh, into referees second-guessing themselves because they don't want to be seen as deciding games, which is understandable. It's mm. not their job. Their job is just to police it. Um, yeah. The fact that the bunker can also be used to decide on some things going on aside from tries undermines the referees a little bit as well. So they're kind of being picked at from different areas everywhere, and it's it's just going to constantly cause uncertainty. And... They're, they're trying to show some certainty on the field now. The problem is, as, as Matt's rightly said, it's taking too long because they're on the field and they're saying, right, I want to make sure I've got all the facts before I send it upstairs. And you, you think, well, that's good. You need to do that. But at the same time, if you're getting all the facts, why not just make the decision on the spot? I think we'd all stomach them taking a bit of time to make the decision if they just made it themselves on the ground there. If they spoke to both touchies and the other ref and they went, okay, try, no try. Mm. Everyone would be fine. But if they're going through that process and then going, okay, now let's ask someone else with a video to have a look at it and see what he says. That's right. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's because, you know, last year too, the, the bunker was working a lot faster last year because there's none of that conversation between the other refs. The ref just went, okay, straight up to the video ref. And the video ref is usually pretty quick at going through it. And the bunker today is still reasonably quick compared to when it first got in, introduced. It's just the process of getting from the action taking place to that discussion that doesn't need to take place, it does, to go into the video ref. The whole thing now takes forever. And we're seeing teams exploit it now. 
we've seen a few times already this year where there's definitely no try scored. But the players will get up and say, I scored, I scored. You've got to take it to the video ref. And they go, okay, we better go have a look. And all the players go, oh, good, we yeah. got a break now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. More time wasting as well. That's yeah. where the referee confidence comes into it. You know, um, man, I'd love to have someone like Bill Harrigan or, um, you know, Bill Harrigan back where they, they don't, didn't take that from the players. You know, they really just told them to piss off, basically. Yeah. Tim even... Mander. Tim Mander was another one. Greg McCallum. I quite like yeah. um, quite like Greg McCullum as a, as a ref. He was one of those blokes who no one would back chat to because they just knew they were going to go nowhere other than the sin bin. Yeah. And he did not fear the sin bin. And I, I like the fact that that started to get reintroduced again. It needs to be used more, more often. But there also needs to be other sort of... Um, it, it needs to be used in a way that makes more of an impact on the team that's committed the offence. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd tell the players, you've got 20 seconds to get off the field. I wouldn't be giving them a minute or 40 seconds or whatever. You know, you've got two legs. You're an athlete. Run off the field. There's none of this other crap of strolling off. Like we saw players like yeah. Takarangi took like a minute and 10 seconds or something one game to get off the field. Come yeah. on. And it's blatant. You know, they're doing it. And what do the referees do? They're just exactly. standing there going, oh, please hurry up, sir. Please hurry up. Now, run up to him and say, run off now or you're sent off. I'd, I'd have the referee go, right, you've got 10 in the bin. He sits there and he counts to 10 or 15. He calls time on. If the player's still on the field, penalty against the team that's got the extra player on the field. And they can get a yep. fine as well for having more players on the field than they're supposed to. I yep. Fuck it. I'd even go as far as saying, if you've got a player still on the field when play goes on and they're not supposed to be there and you win the match, you lose your two competition points. Yeah, that's right. Well, I had, a thing, I had a thing where... Um, and I tweeted about it, how to fix sin bin. Uh, time how long it takes for a sin bin player to leave the field. And then you add that time on top of the 10 minutes that they've had. But you could you could times it by two or three, depending on, you know, how, how long it took and, and if they're it, making it a penalty. So say it took uh, 20 seconds to come off the field, times it by three, and they've got to spend 11 minutes on the sideline instead of 10. I had a more um, extreme version of that where I said for every second they take after 20 seconds, that equals mm. an extra minute they've got to sit in the sin bin for. Yeah. yeah They'll run off one. then. Yeah, that works. <laughs> They'll run off then. You yeah. know, if you're going to take a minute to go off and you've only got 20 seconds, bang, you've just lost half a game of footy. Yeah, good. That's a great idea. Um, what else was I going to mention? There's one other thing I was going to mention that you guys might be interested in discussing further as well, and that's the, the crackdown from the NRL on content. Um, you know, you've got a lot of we've got a lot of really passionate fans in the game, like yourselves, um, and a lot of other social media people that are quite influential and they're trying to do really good things for the game. They're spreading content, like you know, trying to use videos and photos and graphics and all the rest of it. And then the next thing you know, the NRL will come in, crack the whip, delete it right now. You don't mm-hmm. delete it. You're not allowed to use that kind of stuff. What, what do you think about that? Do you think that is stopping? the spread of our game, the stopping fans from becoming more involved or the reach of our sport, you know, really getting out there a bit more. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's terrible. I look at the the league that does it the best is the NBA, and they've got a deal, I believe, with YouTube where basically you can take, you know, not obviously not a whole game, but you can make as many... Um, videos with NBA highlights in it as you like 
They've got no problems with it. They see it as a promotional tool that is fan-driven, fan-made, and it just promotes mm. their product. Um, you know, I, I see, you know, who, who's not watching rugby league games because they're, they're watching highlight videos on YouTube. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think that it, they'd be better off saying, look, um, we're going to allow people to make highlight videos um but maybe YouTube at their end adds and the NRL website as a watermark to the to videos tagged NRL or something like that, something along yeah. those lines. But I think yep. cutting down on um, fan-driven NRL content is just ridiculous, and it's like cutting your nose off to spite your face. You know, it's, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, this is a sport that needs promoted at, at every chance we get, and, you know, we've seen that, you can send something viral that's rugby league footage because it's such an amazing sport and to try and crack down on that because, you know, the rights holders want to make sure that you are sitting down for two hours and watching the game on your mobile phone or something. I I don't think they're related. And I think it's really naive by the NRL. I don't think it takes away from their business at all to have, you know, free promotion across the internet. Um, it it's just seems silly to me. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And, um, yeah, it's it's something that perhaps the reason for that is maybe the NRL think they don't need fans to help promote. I think they, they probably think they're doing a good enough job on their own. They don't need to get more fans in. They don't need to get more bums on seats or more fans watching on telly because they've got enough and they're doing a good enough job as it is. And I think that's the reason why. They, they do that, um, and the, the reason I say that is simply because of a conversation I've had with a, a CEO involved in the game who's pretty much said just that, um, mm. compared it with sports like the A-League um, and other sports in Australia where they're happy to give accreditation to anyone, they're happy for fans to use videos and pictures, they're happy for fans to do anything they want really because they need that promotion, whereas the NRL think... They don't. The NRL don't need that promotion. The NRL don't need more members or fans. They're happy with what they've got. They're happy with their viewers. So why give fans, you know, all this access and, and content and all the rest of it when they don't really need to? I think yeah. I, I, I think that is my opinion on why the NRL are the way they are um, with, you know, cutting, cutting ties with um, fans being able to pretty much use videos or photos or whatever. Um, which is really sad. Yeah, it is. And and I think the other thing is too, they they might see it as attacking what they do with their in-house media staff. And I, I don't think that it affects it. I mean, personally, I know, look, I don't go on and watch too many NRL highlights anywhere because I watch the games. Um, but I, I can tell you this, I don't read any articles on the NRL website. I very rarely go to the NRL website um, because you're getting the league's opinion and, you know, uh, people that write articles for the NRL and then call themselves journalists is pretty hilarious if you ask me. You know, yeah. they're, they're just comms people by a different name. But, um, yeah, I, I think maybe they think that it undermines what they're trying to build in-house and I don't believe that's the case. And, look, they might have numbers that shows different, but, uh, you know, 
it it it, it doesn't sit well with me at all. And the more people promoting rugby league, the better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how they need to be looking at things, and they're not at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, I think too the um the thing they're missing out on with this is they're not getting the fans' perspective in any any platform, not just with the NRL, but even mainstream media, they're not really getting a fan perspective anywhere. And there's they're starting I'm starting to get the impression there's quite a downturn in interest in a lot of the mainstream media because people aren't hearing things that relate to them. They just keep hearing all these rumors and a lot of it doesn't turn out to be right. And so people are sitting there wondering what's the point of enduring this if half the time it's wrong or it's just some some journo bloke, you know, just flapping his gums again. Like, mm. everyone will tell you that you go on Twitter and places like that, they'll tell you, if you ask them, what's your, what's your favourite rugby league program other than the show? And most of them will say, the fan. And it's because Andrew Voss has always been, come across as a fan. He always talks to the fans at their level. He talks about things that interest them, and they're usually quirky little funny things. He talks to the old players who the game and the mainstream media pretty much just leaves behind and only goes to if they're searching for a story on a slow week. Yeah. Uh, he's constantly there talking to them and, and speaking about them and talking about it in a fun, positive, happy sort of way. And it's that gives you the insight as to that's what the fans are seeking, what they're after. And we're not getting... The, the fan base is just not getting heard enough. And having, having the NRL shutting down things like fan-based videos and whatnot just adds to that problem. You know, if they're going to give you free PR, you'd be mad to turn it down. That's the thing I don't get about it. Is it's just free PR. Just let them go for it. I mean, yeah, that's as, right. As Freak said, the uh, the NBA does it best. There's no doubt about it. Bloody oath. Jeez, we've been talking for a while, almost an hour and a half. Had we're a good run, good. this one, boys. It's brilliant. Yeah, so uh, anything else you want to chuck in from the uh, the last decade? Uh, let me don't, think. Last think decade, so. there was a phenomenal uh, premiership in two thousand and five. Uh, I think we've run out of time. See you later, lads. Sorry. That's, yeah, that'll <laughs> wrap that up. <laughs> Pretty colours. <laughs> oh, Matthew Elliott got sacked. How good was that? Oh, that was and, my highlight of the last decade. Oh, and Jason Taylor. Jason Taylor, yeah. Jason Taylor getting getting decked by Farlonger. Uh, just getting sacked by the Tigers. Yeah, right, okay. I was so infuriated when they signed him in the first <laughs> place because they were talking to Nathan Brown, someone else who was a pretty decent coach as well, and Jason Taylor, and yeah, let's go with JT. He used to play for the Magpies or some, yeah, it was probably something along those lines, I don't know, but I just thought, why would you pick the most least least experienced coach? And sure enough, it bit him on the ass. Some things don't make sense, do they? Bloody hell. Most of the West Tigers management. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, well, uh, well, we might then wrap this one up. We've, we'd had a pretty good stint there. and uh, no, that was good, lads. Thanks we'll a lot. To, we'll have to get Matt back for another episode, given that we, we did have something else we're going to talk about. We might yeah. store that up for, for next week. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Alrighty, well, uh, thanks, thanks for dropping by. I hope, uh, hope your child has found at least 16 kilos of eggs. Well, she's almost out. She's happy at the moment. Obsessed with Spider-Man at the moment, that new Spider-Man movie, you know. Into the Spider-Verse, it's called, that cartoony one. Don't know why, but she loves it. So, okay, I'll put that on the telly, and away she goes. So, it's good. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get my daughter to just sit there and watch rugby league religiously, but she's not interested in that just yet. 
<laughs> yeah, no, she'll see my little one will run around with the Bulldogs flag and she'll say, go Bulldogs, and all the other teams are yuck and all the rest of it, but I can't keep her watching any car, any any type of footy at all. She loses interest after a minute. Yeah, well, what she knows, the um, her, her mum's a Sharks fan, so she's been she's been pushed in that direction. She already knows most of the uh, the Sharks um, song. Oh, how good. <laughs> she runs around singing that and she knows some of the teams. She oh, knows I feel about, so sorry for you. She knows about the Melbourne Storm Island because we talk about how much we don't like them. <laughs> we go, oh, crap, it's having an adverse effect. She knows who they are now. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, uh, yeah. Parenting Good one. Fun. That's great fun. <laughs> Any parenting stories, Freaky? Uh, you know, I've got none. Uh, <laughs> pull out game is strong when it has to be, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, we uh, we can't really add to that. No, 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 no. <laughs> mine's mine's clearly not because we've got another one coming in August, so oh. not too far away till the little man arrives. Congrats there! Thank you. No, that's, um... I must say it's been good of the Bulldogs to 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 put in a bit of a poor season, so they um you want to be interfered by wearing titles and stuff when when the that's next right. one comes along. That's right. Now, well, we know we're having a little boy, so I've um been very active in the purchasing. Market, gone out and got little bulldogs jumpsuits and bulldogs tops, and we got a little, I got a little uh, newborn bulldogs jersey jumpsuit thing with his name on the back. You've got to have a, you've got to have a, a former bulldogs legend player as his name, surely. Terry, mate, we're going with Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you go with Hasm? I, I, I did suggest Has or Hasm, and um, apparently. Matthew, that's the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard in my life was the answer. So um, that's not going to happen. Oh, that's no <laughs> good. We're, going, See, with, um, I, we're I, going with Isaac. Isaac. Oh, Isaac's nice. a name we've had picked out for a long time. No Bulldogs relation there, but, you know, it's just uh, it's just a name I've had picked out for many years. So that'll do. Yeah, there's never been a, uh, a single player that played for the Bulldogs called Isaac, has there for you? He can be the first. Well, that's right. He'll be the first. He might be a halfback, though. Dad's a prop. He, he can be a halfback. Just whenever they go to Coffs Harbour, say, stay at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't go. It'll still uh, still be lingering then, no doubt, when yeah. he's ready to pull on a jersey. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, these, that's the way these dramas work, is that they linger around until another one comes along to replace it. That's right. So they need to get some other one, some small thing. Yeah, one day. Frog, we'll be right. frog. Maybe maybe the Bulldogs mascot could get involved in some fraud cases. <laughs> we'll leave that up to Penrith, eh? <laughs> On that fantastic note. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, drop us an email at podcast at um, You can catch us all on Twitter, as I said at the start. Um, yeah, download us on, on iTunes. Give us a subscription. Give us a five-star review. And... Uh, we're on everything else, Spotify. So, yeah, we'll, we'll catch us later. Yeah, it'll be good. We're looking forward to the next episode too. So, And, by the way, if you want to sponsor this podcast, we'll do live feeds. It'll be fun. You'll get heaps of exposure. So drop us a line if you want to sponsor the podcast as well because uh, we're ready. It's time. Absolutely time. beautiful. Thanks for having me again, guys. Great Thanks, fun. Matt. Glad to be a part of it again. It's fantastic Thanks, having you on. Once again, all right. Thanks all, and we'll catch you all later.